Welcome to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates, where leaders find the insights, advice, and encouragement they need to lead courageously. Welcome back to the show. I'm so honored that you're spending a few minutes with us here today. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to whatever podcast platform you listen to. Give us that review. Help us get the word out because we've got some great interviews and podcasts coming up this year, and this one is one of those. Uh, This is going to be a barn burner, folks. You're going to love this interview. A lot of insights. I have with me Brian Baxter. He's a retired assistant chief of the Texas Department of Public Safety, where he served Texas for over 30 years. He's the founder and president of Performance Critical Inc., where he provides consultation to both private and public entities. Brian has a Bachelor of Science degree in criminal justice and a Master of Science degree in applied psychology. You're going to love what he has to say. I love anybody that thinks outside the box, that thinks outside the narrative, that's trying to push the profession to progress better. And that's what Brian is doing. Brian Baxter, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, Travis. Thanks for having me, man. Well, man, I was excited to talk to you. I've been seeing your post on LinkedIn, and and you certainly uh, have – you know, you have takes and opinions that aren't just opinions are grounded in all of your experience. And I just kind of wanted you to kind of tell our audience kind of how you got here. I know you I love your bio where you say, hey, I serve Texas because Texas kind of has that that attitude like we're Texas and everybody else is everybody else. And I've been down to Texas a lot. I've done some work <laughs> with DPS a lot, been around a lot of those uh, troopers and men, just the salt of the earth, men and women. And that's where you kind of cut your teeth. Kind of tell us how that happened and, and how your career progressed. Uh, well, I started out in 1993, and uh, you and I have spoken a little bit about the uh, troopers assigned to the Capitol. That was actually my first duty station. I was assigned to the Capitol in Austin and, and uh, did patrol out of that office for a while, about nine years. Uh, went into narcotics and really, really enjoyed narcotics work. Did that out in West Texas and South Texas and uh, did a lot of moving around, a lot of traveling with that uh, then I started promoting into supervisory ranks and uh, became a narcotics lieutenant, became a criminal investigations captain. My last actual real cop job was a criminal and uh, criminal investigations commander in West Texas. I had 30 counties, basically everything from uh, the Hill Country west to about uh, Fort Davis, uh, sparsely populated, but a whole lot of geography to cover. It was a great job. I uh, finished out my career at headquarters. I started out as a, or I, I came to headquarters as a training captain and then promoted through the training division and ultimately retired as an assistant chief and acting chief of the training operations division for DPS. So I had an opportunity to serve Texas in a lot of different ways. And you're right, I do, that is intentional language. And that's one of my things is intentional language. I served Texas for 30 years. I didn't, I didn't serve the Texas Department of Public Safety for 30 years. I certainly didn't serve myself. I served the citizens of Texas uh, for 30 years. So that's a very important distinction in my book. Well, it goes back to community, right? And I know you've had a lot to say about community and trust and all those issues. And we've really messed trust up, I think, in the profession. I'll just tell you where I think. I think we we use trust as a metric thinking that that's the mission. And trust is important because we need the public to help us. But at the end of the day, the mission is crime reduction, and you need the public to help you do that. But if you place that trust or you place that humanizing a badge over the mission, it creates issues. What, what's your take on that? 
that that can go a couple of different directions. The first thing that pops into my head when you say that is a friend of mine, um, a, a really really smart guy who who says very similar things about uh, these catchphrases that we apply to things. These uh, feel good catchphrases, and one of my favorites is the public trust. Um, and 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 he would tell you that that's a it's a myth. It's a pipe dream. You can't get everybody in the public to trust the police. And I would agree with that. Um, what, what I like to define the public trust as is a situation where the kind of like the way we use the phrase uh, conventional wisdom. It doesn't mean everybody subscribes to this idea or everybody believes it. It simply means that w when you think about an, an overarching opinion it's probably going to be that direction that's the conventional wisdom sometimes it's right sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad the public trust kind of in that same vein in my mind means that if something questionable happens and you see a video on facebook an edited out of context video on facebook and it's viewed by underinformed uh, viewers if it looks like the police did something bad if we could get to a place of the public trust, that's when they say, uh, that looks really bad, but the police usually do it right. So I'm going to dig deeper, get more information, find some more answers before I, before I form an opinion. Uh, and again, that's, that's a big goal. That's a, that's a big goal, but it's not a, I don't think an unattainable goal. So when I talk about the public trust, that's what I mean. And, and it is important because not only do we need, to your point, the public to reduce crime, we need the public's consent. We need the public's authorization to even exist. We can go back as far as we want to the Declaration of Independence. It says that the governments are the governments exist based on the consent of the governed. And if we lose the consent of the governed, we lose our ability to do our job. And so I, I think it's important to balance uh, one of the oversimplified ways I've heard this put, and it's good as long as we listen to it as intended. When people say public servants provide a service, sometimes it's a service that the public doesn't want. And that's limited mainly to those that are breaking the law, find themselves crossed with the law. Uh, but as long as we don't label people that break the law for the rest of their lives as criminals and write them off, you know, especially traffic, and I, I think you and I will get into this probably more in a minute. When it comes to traffic stuff, we we we, uh, we really have to balance what we do with the outcome of what we do and the ripples that we make with the people that we come in contact with so that when it comes down to the really, really bad situations that we have to make the best decision we can in, the public is going to say, hey, that, that looks really rough, but police have a rough job. And, and, and the, the Supreme Courts have even said, because it's such a rough job and things happen that are tense, uncertain, and rapidly and evolving uh, we've got to be a little we got to be reasonable about the way we judge them so kind of jumping in two or three different directions but that was a pretty broad topic yeah but brian you did something that most people don't do outside the profession because you got to remember and i want to i want to kind of bring our audience to this is for the most part almost all the reforms and all the ideas all the things that people outside the profession are sort of demanding they always couch it of because we need public trust but they don't ever define what that means. You just right. defined it. And I like your definition. And it's always struck me as odd that we seem to jump to 
pretty much any idea. Don't get me wrong. We should be reforming. We should be improving. But I think we're the experts at knowing how to do that. I don't necessarily need an activist or a politician that's demanding, you know, that we do certain things when there's really no facts or evidence behind it oftentimes. But they're, they use this public trust metric, which sounds good to the general citizen. Oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. But then they never go back after that reform to see whether it even worked. What to, when they're talking to us, Brian, they're talking to a group, an organization, National American Law Enforcement, that has been in the top three or four uh organizations with the highest trust level for the last 50 years Gallup's been doing it. It's been anywhere from 68 to 82 percent in the last few years. And meanwhile, you know, the media and politicians and Congress and they're all bottom rung in the trust level. So they don't hold themselves to the same accountability. So I think as leaders in the profession, we need we need that balance because so much of that is a farce. Right. Uh, and they just use this trust thing and we, we tend to just jump at it. And because trust is important, but I do agree, there's always going to be a small segment of society that just don't like the police. That's always been that way. Sure. But what you talk about is we talk about in our seminars a lot. We talk about leave no doubt. Do your job so well. Be so transparent. Be so accountable. Communicate so well to the public that when something controversial does occur, because we are in a controversial business, that we will get the benefit of the doubt. Right. And what can organizations do law enforcement do today to sort of leave no doubt i, I think in uh you you mentioned in uh one of your posts that uh your quote was are we earning the benefit of their doubt when something we say or do is misunderstood or even worse when we actually do make a mistake so when you talk about achieving that earning that benefit of the doubt what what recommendation would you give law enforcement agencies and leaders uh you know it's that that's exactly where we need to focus a lot of energy right now people talk about the small stuff and they say don't sweat the small stuff i would submit that the small stuff is generally the easy stuff and if we're not going to do the easy stuff how can we be trusted to do the hard and complicated stuff uh, not to say that this problem is a, is a simple one or an easy one to to work towards solving but an example i would give you is from a leadership perspective you know when when you see your officer uh, and he's got a Punisher logo on his body armor and he thinks it's cool. He's not doing it to do anything bad. He's not doing it to hurt the, the relationship with the community. He just thinks it's neat, tactical, and he put it on his body armor. The leader should have a conversation. He spoke to transparency and, and, uh, and accountability. I think that's an opportunity for a leader to, to have a conversation and, and say, help me understand why you have that on your body armor, what does it bring, you know, what value does it bring, what risk does it bring, how could it possibly be interpreted by someone who sees that, who uh, finds himself crossed with the law and is going to have a story to tell afterward. I think just pointing out little things and, and you know, that's a good example to me because it's what, what one of the arguments or the pushback I get most on that opinion of mine is that, well, that's his First Amendment right. You know, that's his First Amendment right to have that sticker on his truck, on his body armor, on anything he wants it on. And that's true. Uh, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think as leaders, we need to live a little bit more in that in that area of just because you can doesn't mean you should, while simultaneously praising all of the good work that gets done on a daily basis. The reason some of these criticisms and corrections from leadership when they are made the reason those are so negatively impactful on officers many times is because the day before when that officer did something outstanding, 
we didn't publicly praise them. We need to praise people in public a lot for the good things they do. Uh, and, and when we do correct them, we need to do it in private. We need to do it in a way that respects the officer. We need to do it in a way that helps that officer uh, find the, the answer to that question themselves. So that I call that objectionable branding is just one example of the things that, that I think as leaders and as officers we could address intentionally to take a baby step toward earning that benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and you mentioned something that's very important that I don't see as often as I should. As you said, we should have a conversation with them. We should have a discussion with them. Because so often what you see, Brian, is you see a policy that comes out that tells everybody to take off a sticker without any communication. And that actually is what creates the negative vibe, so to speak. And because it's really all about communication. Leaders, we, we put so much emphasis in communicating to the public, but our own officers also need that same communication, correct? Absolutely. And I, I would tell you that when it comes to respect um, and trust, which are two things that you've got to have it, from the officer with his supervisors and officer, also with the officer and the public, we, whoever has the biggest, whoever the tallest dog at that trough is, needs to be the one to give their respect and trust. So as a leader to the officers, I say, I give you my respect and I give you my trust, and you have it until it's lost. I will, on the other hand, I will work to earn your respect and your trust. And that works from a leader to an officer, and it also works from an officer to a member of the public who might be on the fence about what they think about the police. Hey, I'm going to give you my respect. You know, trust is a little bit different issue there because we've got officer safety concerns, obviously, uh, tactics and things that, that might be affected if we, if we just – quote unquote, trust too much. But when it comes to respect, an officer giving unconditional respect to a person they come in contact with on the road and then working to earn that person's respect, that's a that's an equation for a win uh, and also for a leader to an officer. And when you do that, uh, that's another baby step that it becomes part of what you do. It becomes part of how you treat people. It becomes part of your relationships and our business if it's about nothing else, it's about relationships. Yeah, I couldn't have said that any better. And we, we, we pay such an emphasis on getting the community to trust us, Brian. But our own leaders need to understand that you have to also earn that trust. You may have the authority. You may be able to tell somebody what to do. But until you actually earn trust, you're really not going to get everything you need out of your culture, your organization, are you? No. I, and I'll tell you, this this kind of segues into a one of my opinions that depending on the audience can be pretty unpopular but i think we start that trend i think we plant that seed in the academy we we bring people in we make them run with their duffel bag and we make them cut their hair and we make them stand in a line and do drill and ceremony and we yell at them and <clears throat> we don't let them speak to anybody don't you say good morning you haven't earned the right to say good morning to me and and we treat recruits who are entering this very people-centric profession in a very military sort of uh, environment that doesn't breed conversation. It doesn't breed trust. It doesn't breed actual interhuman respect. And then we turn them loose and we expect them to treat the public differently than we've treated them for six months. So I, I don't, you know, a lot of people hear this and they say, oh, you damn hippie. 
you, you think we need to do this like college, and, and that's, a, that's an oversimplification. What I would recommend is an environment where, yes, recruits do need to walk in a straight line, and they do need to make their bed every morning, and they do need to do the things to, to help them instill good habits and professional habits, but at the same time, teach them to greet people in the hallway with a good morning or a good afternoon. Teach them to wave to people when they're driving a patrol car. Teach them to be able to have a conversation with someone and not feel superior or inferior because of their job. Uh, that, that's where I believe it starts. And I think the days of treating a police academy like infantry training should be long, long behind us. Unfortunately, it's, it's something that uh, is here to stay, I believe, for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how anyone could argue that, that there certainly is a balance. And uh, whenever I had an officer that would get uh, a rudeness complaint, obviously it's the most common complaint that any leader that's listening mm-hmm. to this deals with. And, you know, there's a difference between the officer that never gets a rudeness complaint that all of a sudden got one versus that serial person that you've worked a couple <laughs> of rudeness complaints on in a year. Well, my first question when someone would come to me as a commander and say, hey, we're working this, he's had two or three rudeness complaints. My first question is, how's he being treated or how's she being treated? Because if you're, being, yeah. it goes to what you're saying, Brian, if you're being treated like crap from your supervisor or your leader, why do we not expect that that's not going to roll downhill to the citizen we contact? And, and everything we measure should be measured at that intersection of the officer and the citizen, the officer and the community. We like to measure things like, if we had this new airplane, we could we could have X, Y, and Z more outputs. Well, outputs are important, and generally, because we are an honorable uh, group of people and we do a very honorable and important job, when we say we need something, at the end of the day, it, it's going to make life better for the citizens. But I think, to your point, if we start to measure things and present things in that way, not, hey, if we had this new uh, patrol car, we could do X, Y, and Z greater outputs. Take it a step farther and show the outcome. And those outputs would, uh, because of this metric or because of this market research or because of this survey, these outputs stand to reduce crime in this area by this amount. They stand to reduce speeding and crashes in this area by this amount. They stand to uh, improve uh, this area of a citizen's life. I think if we just make it a habit to, to, to measure things out to that end, not only do we still accomplish where it benefits the, the officer in the department, but we're putting a spotlight on where it benefits the citizen. And, and again, that's something else we can do. But if, if, we're not treating, if we're not treating our officers in a way that tells them they are the most important component of the agency, uh, I would agree with you. It's going to be difficult to then expect them to treat the citizens and the people in their community as if they're the most important people in that relationship. Well, now you're talking about a subject that I've written a lot about and I've spoken a lot about, and I always get funny looks or funny comments, and that's the subject of customer service. Yep. And for some reason, Brian, in our profession, we think that every organization on the planet but law enforcement should be concerned about customer service. Every time you fly on an airplane or book a hotel or go to a restaurant, they're giving you those little surveys, right? How, how was your, and they're doing it for a reason. They need repeat customers. They want to make sure that they're, they catch a problem before it occurs. Meanwhile, in law enforcement, so often we wait for the complaint to come in and then we go, huh, 
do we have a problem? In fact, we don't even do it then. We wait for three or four to come in from the same officer. Uh Uh-huh, do we have a problem? Meanwhile, the rest of the world, they don't wait for the problem. They're trying to monitor, like you said, that that employee-customer relationship throughout. And I I don't understand. There's a couple of companies that have popped up trying to do this. I know that because I launched one about six years ago and quickly got ran out with, with the funds because I couldn't get anybody to do it. I was trying to give it away. Couldn't get anybody to do it. It was app based. It was QR code from citizens. And it was just simple. You know, did, was, did the officer treat you well? Were they professional? You know, I don't expect everybody to like what was going on, but I was trying to gauge, I wanted them to gauge how the officer treated them, right? Those customer service questions. And no, and they just thought you were crazy. Kind of like body cameras 20 years ago. Well, that's crazy. So I I would like to think we're going to catch on to this, but why do you think we are so adamant? Because I've had officers tell me, Brian, that that's not who we are or we're not like a business. And I would say, no, we are exactly like a business. The only difference is if we run out of money in a year, they just give us more money the next year. We're not going to go bankrupt. And that's part of the problem. If you're in Austin and you call 911 and you have a really bad experience with the police, well, guess who you have to call the next day? The same police department. But if you have a bad experience in an outburger, which is probably impossible, you will go to a different restaurant. So, but customer service doesn't seem to be that big of a deal to us because we're not measuring. I don't say it's not a big deal, but we're not measuring. If you're not measuring it, you don't know and you can't anticipate maybe not maybe who needs discipline, but maybe who needs help or who needs training or who needs counseling to try to make that relationship better. Why do you think we're so against that or the profession hasn't grasped on that like everybody else? I, immediately, I go back to where we measure, and I think you, you mentioned surveys. I, you know, I rented a car last week, going to and from the airport, and I took my pickup to a, a service station here in my hometown uh, a couple of weeks before that. And after both experiences, I got a survey via email that I filled out, and they didn't ask what should we do uh, to align your vehicle's wheels better, and they didn't ask. Hey, how many people should we have at the desk to get you out of the rental car place faster? Those are procedural questions that you started this information, this conversation off with. We know best how to, how to remedy the problems that we have. We just need to know what the problems are. And I think that's a great example. If we do a survey, we shouldn't ask, Hey, how many people should we have in your neighborhood? Hey, should we, should we run radar in this school zone? We should ask questions like, um, how were you treated? Uh, did this happen? Did that happen? Did the officer tell you their name? Did the officer tell you their agency? Did the officer state the reason for the stop? You know, ask questions that can gauge the experience. And then based on the answers, we know where to address the, the therapy, the training, the education that will fix the problem. You know, there's a, I made a, I made a post the other day about celebrity cops and, you know, we got, a guy in Los Angeles, California, doing an amazing job of showing his interactions with the community and, and how he he lives where he works and he, he deals with the same people in out day in and day out. And, and that kind of celebrity is fantastic because it does a lot of good work in transparency and showing people not only his hardships, but it shows the hardships in the community where he works and how he can sometimes help and sometimes as I said earlier, the services he has to provide maybe aren't appreciated by the person being arrested or the person being cited. But that the opposite of that celebrity cop is the one that goes on YouTube and Facebook and, and, and TikTok 
and pulls people over for traffic violations and then berates them and makes jokes and condescends and he's sarcastic and he says, you know, uh, you don't drive well, you don't drive the speed limit, you're doing a lot of things wrong and and starts the conversation off with, hey, do you know why I stopped you and things like that. And, and all of that is for clicks and views uh, where we should be spending our time trying to make the public in, increase the quality of life for the public, reduce speed, reduce crashes, and all of those things that we can measure as an outcome where they intersect with the public. This guy's not only not doing that, he's doing the opposite by going out of his way to be condescending and discourteous during the contact in the name of humanizing the badge, in the name of look at this cop and how funny he is and how cute he is um, at the expense of a driver who the only thing they did wrong was commit a traffic offense. And, and so I think that's, we're not only not doing the right thing in some cases, in some cases we're doing the wrong thing and we're doing it for personal gain. We're doing it for, uh, personal celebrity uh, that the, this particular uh, officer deputy is in a county where uh, some very important people in that agency are running for national office so it's it's clear what what's being done but I think they overlook the the damage that's being done at the same time yeah that was a great example you're talking about Dion Joseph and I would encourage everybody to follow Dion I've spoken to Dion a few times I'm actually going to see him this summer amazing dude. yeah his wife's got a great food truck I'm going to visit that again but Dion yes he's online he's very visible he's no doubt what he's doing is building trust in that comfort level around police but he's mixing in the mission of his job that's the big difference here right like he's not just playing midnight basketball to be playing midnight basketball and doing silly tiktok videos like when you watch him it's couched around the mission of him trying to help people save people sometimes arrest people he talks about the conversations he has with kids it's all about his actual mission and pretty brilliant stuff and we just have so he's doing it right but so many people it's almost like a, a fame thing or a click thing like you said and it really has nothing to do with the mission of the profession yeah, not at all. You know, Dion, his he's educating, he's educating his audience in areas that that he sees a need for the audience to be educated. Uh, in in some cases, it's this is why the police do what they do, and you need to understand this about the police. And in other cases, it's man, this guy I saw doing this thing to a citizen, it was it was wrong, and here's why it was wrong. We shouldn't be doing that in this profession. Uh, I think he's a he's an equally equal opportunity educator, uh, and he's doing it for all the right reasons. Well, he breaks the mold because so many in the profession, they feel like they can't talk about problems they're seeing, right? They can't really verbalize that. And and he's a prime example. I mean, LAPD is very high profile. I know their policies are strict on this. He normally, as you know, he's covering up his badge when he's talking. But he doesn't cut, he yeah. doesn't cut any punches. I mean, he talks about politicians. He talks about the bad policies. He's talking about issues that are affecting the mission. He's not shying away from it. So if we had a handful of him out there, it probably wouldn't be you and me talking on this show, right? We'd probably actually be seeing some progress, and we can only hope that we sort of wake up to that. But I think so many in this profession kind of work under fear. They're scared of their supervisors or their leaders or their chiefs or their sheriffs or what an activist is going to say, what the media is going to say. And that is really stymieing open thought and critical thinking and logical skills where we can kind of go, okay, this isn't working. Let's try it this way. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, it all, again, I'd bring up the, where do we measure 
And I think uh, the example there with Dion is that he, he measures his outputs by the outcome on the citizen. And he measures his outputs otherwise, and maybe, and maybe not just him, but a, a good leader measures their outputs where their outcomes meet the employee. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I said, man, we need to be careful that we don't, that we don't prioritize our employees so much that we overlook the customer. And he said, yeah, but don't forget, if you don't have good employees, you don't have a business. And, and I came back, I said, yeah, but don't forget, if you don't have customers, you don't have a business. So that balance doesn't need to be who's more important or who matters more. The balance needs to be what's important now. In other words, what do we need to focus on in this moment and with this particular problem and who who needs to be addressed or who needs to get more resources or who needs to get more in the way of guidance, leadership, training, uh, so that they can do a better job and ultimately affect that outcome. Uh, sometimes it's the officer who needs a better vest, the officer who needs a, a better flashlight, so the officer who needs you know, a better uh, conducted energy weapon. Sometimes it's the citizen who needs a better understanding of why the officer does what they do or, or affirmation that, no, what happened to you wasn't right. What happened to you was a violation of policy and, and it, it was discourteous and it shouldn't have happened. Uh, it just depends on what's important now. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Brian Baxter. He's a retired assistant chief for the Texas Department of Public Safety and the founder and president of Performance Critical Inc. And Brian, those are solid, solid points. And I don't know how far in the rabbit hole you want to go with this, but obviously I, I will tell you my burden. I feel really burdened by the, the mission of what I'm doing and what I see you're doing and others are doing, because I think if we don't get some things right rather quickly, we may never see a return to normalcy, so to speak. Now, I said this one time, return to normalcy, and then, you know, everybody came out of the woodworks talking about giving it racial connotations. No, no, what I'm talking about is normalcy is when crime was not as high as it is now, when, when you know, there wasn't so much anger towards the profession and we could actually protect communities uh, through actual doing police work. And so we, we've been so distracted in recent years doing a bunch of other things. Where do you see the profession going if we don't get it right, and then what do we need to do to try to get back on track? Because maybe you don't agree, but I just think we're off track. I think there's a lot of things we've gotten away from that really we proved throughout the years that we were good at what we did. We do know how to stop crime. I mean, Texas is, is a fine example. Pretty sure you guys know how to stop the border, stop the border invasion. You know, you just got to you got to be able to be able to be given permission to do it. And uh, so we know we know how to do that. We're the experts, so to speak, in crime control. What needs to happen? Uh, for us to get back to that. Well, I, so I, I, and I appreciate what you're saying for what I feel is the way you, you mean me to hear it. And that is the good things that we used to do. Right. I would, I would offer that there were also a lot of things that we used to do that we probably shouldn't have done or, or things that we didn't do that perhaps we should have done. And, and I think we've made leaps and bounds of progress toward those improvements um, along the way, we have stopped doing some things. Uh, we, we, we collectively do less proactive law enforcement than we used to, and there's undeniable benefits to doing proactive law enforcement. Um, but to answer your question about what do we need to do, I think the very first area of focus needs to be what is our job? We need to define what you don't go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor and say, hey, will you do this 
surgery on my foot. I think I got plantar fasciitis. There's a clear delineation between that doctor's job and the ear, nose, and throat doctor's jobs. And, and it, it, it isn't questioned. We need to get to a place in law enforcement where we aren't everybody's fix it to everything, where we're not the, the imaginary panacea for every societal ill. And I think when we get to a place where we say law enforcement's function are public safety, emergency response, uh, criminal law enforcement, traffic law enforcement, and we make that list and we really focus our public responses on those things and we, we condition not only ourselves in the profession but also members of the public that those are the things that we do, I think that's a big first step. And that's that's going to have to happen before we can really refine what we do, because if we don't define it, we, we can hardly refine it. And I think that's why we're seeing people going in a million different directions, right? You name the idea, we're trying it. But if we don't get the mission down, get our mission statement, so to speak, that's that's really off or not. And I love what you said earlier about the things we used to do. You and I came in this profession in the exact same year, 1993. And so we we both experienced the exact thing. I mean, when I came in this profession, we were smoking in the hallways. Uh, we didn't have computers. We didn't have body cameras. We weren't transparent. We used to typically say no comment at press conferences. We didn't give yep. any information to the public. Um, you know, we were a lot less diverse in 93 than we are today. So there, I, we, could, we could spend hours talking about the good things that we have done. And that's what frustrates me, I think, when people act like we're the worst profession on the planet. Because I'm sitting here thinking, man, there's, we have improved so much from technology to relationships to communication to, tech, to everything. But there are things we have to keep doing and keep progressing on. And, and, and if we spend all of our time arguing with people and without a mission – it's going to be hard to get that. And I'm convinced there's certain people that just don't want us to get to that mission. They want to keep us sort of on the back of our heels. And so there is so much more to do. So that was a great point you made. Uh, nobody's talking about the things that we've improved on in the last 30 years. Everybody wants to talk about the things that we don't do well. Yeah, and I guess yeah, that's just sure. human nature. Yeah. That, and, you know, it's it's easy to, you know, it's easy to point out the things that don't go right. And this takes us all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, you know, we're, we're real quick to point out when officers are discourteous or when officers, you know, violate a seven step contact or you know whatever policy they didn't follow to the letter, but we're not as quick to point out the things that they do well, or, Hey, I've noticed that your report writing has gotten exponentially better over the last six months. What are you doing? You taking a class? Are you working with somebody, man? This is great work. I want everybody to, to appreciate what's going on over here with, with Travis uh, and, and maybe find out how you can get a little bit of that for yourself. We've got to, we've got to refocus the, the spotlight, not only on the things that we need to continue to do better, but at the same time, we've got to con- keep, we've got to keep telling our professionals what they're doing right and what they've done so much work to improve over the years. Yeah, it's, it's just gold. Brian, and, and I'm so glad, even though you retired this last summer, that you are still out there and you're still trying to make a difference. I want to encourage all of uh, all of law enforcement out there. You never stop caring for this profession. I don't care uh, how long you've been away. There's something you have to offer. You have a lifetime experience to do that, and you're doing that through Performance Critical Inc. Tell us about that, and tell us how they can contact you and what you're doing there. Uh, Performance Critical is a uh, very small, very 
early in its existence a uh, company that that I founded with the purpose of uh, applying evidence-based procedures and evidence-based uh, processes to answering hard questions. Uh, instead of making emotional decisions in a courtroom or on the side of the road or in a classroom, I'm going to teach this this way because this is the way it was taught to me in 1993, replacing all of that with evidence-based practices. We're going to teach this in this manner because there's research that supports it. There's good, solid, reputable, peer-reviewed research that supports it. Uh, we're going to investigate this use of force incident in a very pragmatic way, an unemotional way, and we're going to apply limits of human performance. We're going to apply things that we know through science and through research uh, that will help us make better decisions. So in short, applying pragmatic evidence-based practices to use of force case analysis, uh, investigations, as well as training for the law enforcement and public safety sector. And where can, where can they contact you, Brian? Uh, performancecritical.com uh, performance is our website. You can go there and we've got phone numbers and addresses and everything else that you can need. So it's performance-critical.com. Awesome, man. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough for serving the state of Texas and what you continue to do today. Uh, it's been awesome to talk to you. I'm excited to sort of find a brother in arms, so to speak, that is thinking a little bit differently because that's really how we can make things better because the way we've always done it isn't always the best way to do it. And, of course, we work in a profession that tends to move that way. So I appreciate your voice. I appreciate your effort. I certainly appreciate you being here. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed the visit. And if you've been listening, thank you for doing that. And just remember, lead on and stay courageous. Thank you for listening to Courageous Leadership with Travis Yates. We invite you to join other courageous leaders at travisyates.org.